Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Unplug with Annie. I'm continuing the series of Ignite and today I have the wonderful Remy Moses on the show who's a British-born filmmaker and writer hailing from East London. Remy's been filmmaking now for about six years and he loves and is very passionate about telling stories about invisible illnesses, internal struggles and intimately complicated relationships. He definitely has an affinity with romantic, dreamy cinematography and visual storytelling. Um, so I'm super excited to talk about that, a bit about his journey and also what it's like living with Crohn's disease and how he brings his own experiences into his work. Um, so without further delay, would like to welcome him to the show. Hey Remy, welcome to Unplugged with Annie. Thanks for being part of this. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah, no, pleasure. Um, so, I mean, something I definitely will get into is obviously the work and the work that you want to do on that front. But also, I found it really interesting that you say that you, you know, you're really interested in invisible illnesses and, and like talking about internal struggles and relationships. And, you know, those are the stories which interest you. And I was just wondering, like, how much of that comes from your own experience with these things? And how much do you allow your experiences to be uh, present in your work, I guess? I think like when you, when you begin writing and you get into like kind of craftsmanship of writing, you learn quickly that there's some, some kind of baseline cliches that like, you know, you have to write what you know. And um, there's a really good quote by um, Ernest Hemingway, which is something like, um, don't, it's none of their business that, that you, that you, you know, learn how to write, uh, let them think it was magic. Um, so I think there's, there's a lot of value in, you know, writing what you know, uh, also like just educating yourself and, and becoming a better writer all the time. But I think, um, yeah, just having this experience with, with my own struggles with Crohn's and, and having to, you know, have a balance. Because when you're younger, when you have these, these internalised feelings and, and pains but on the outside you look okay you kind of you kind of get sucked into like this this game of pride where you you, you kind of assume an upright posture and make sure that you know you, you you're perceived to be as good as you look basically yeah. so um I think yeah a lot of my work comes from those internalized feelings and, and and kind of you know deeper thoughts about what it is to you know be from a working class background and have disabilities or mental health problems or stuff like that and just putting it into art form where you know other people can absorb it and use it for medicine themselves so yeah so for those for those people who don't know can you tell us a little bit about what Crohn's is and how it affects you um Crohn I, I like genuinely have not much idea about it. I haven't really researched it as much as I should have, but okay. uh, what I do know is that it's uh, inflammatory of like the, the digestive system. Um, so okay. it runs throughout your whole body um, and it basically just kind of, the tissues in, in your digestive system, yeah, the tissues in your digestive system uh, inflame. So mm. it just gives you a lot of pain. And obviously there's a there's a, there's a stigma with I, IBS and IBD and Crohn's and colitis that, you know, one of the main symptoms is using the toilet a lot. So with a lot of like younger children and, and teenagers, 
there's a kind of taboo about the subject and about the health condition because you know you don't you don't want to come across as crude or you don't want people to know that you're going to the toilet so much yeah um, so yeah i think i think it's it's just dealing with those 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 pains and trying to find you know things that that work for you in terms of your diet and exercise and stuff like that yeah um yeah yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's a tough one because it's, it's, it's like all the other kind of chronic health issues where, you know, like arthritis and blah, blah. Yeah. That you, kind of, you kind of just don't understand the pains of it unless you have it. Unless so, you have it. And do you feel like with invisible illnesses, there still is like a stigma in terms of how you're treated? Um, if, if people get to know like this is something that you have, like does it change that? relationship dynamic i think so i i think the more kind of clarity you have i think it goes with any kind of illness or you know personal boundary that you know someone wants to keep to themselves um if, you know if, if whether you're in, in a relationship um whether it's just your mum and dad or you know just new work colleagues it's i think it's important to, to kind of make those those boundaries known so you you don't have to keep explaining yourself you don't have to feel ashamed um you don't have to feel like you're less than everyone else because they're normal so um mm. i think there is value in it yeah and in terms of like filmmaking and like the stories you want to tell do you feel like i know you can at least talk about the uk market a bit but um obviously there's been a rise of bane talent if you like we're seeing a lot of different ethnic backgrounds being represented more than before um is it enough though and like you know talking about invisible illnesses i mean i don't know if i've personally seen that many stories like depicting characters which have those kind of things and, and their struggles and then at the same time you know when it comes to casting these kind of roles do you think it's important to get actors who actually um maybe do suffer from these illnesses themselves as well mm, um i think it, it, it's it's difficult because, you know, you, you rarely ever see um, people with disabilities on screen or behind the camera even, um, and it's it's quite disheartening because there's I think there's there's been about two or three films about um, young teens or, or adolescents people in adolescence trying to find independence with Down syndrome. Mm. Um, the Peanut Butter Falcon was one of them, um, and. I got to see that at the BFI Film Festival and we had a Q&A afterwards with the directors and they were saying like, you know, they met, they met Zach, the lead actor, at uh, a camp for um, people with Down syndrome that wanted to be an actor, wanted to be actress, actors or actresses or get into the arts. And um, he said he wanted to be an actor. So the directors kind of made this film directly for him. Um, and it's based on like his, his love for wrestling and wanting to get out of the care home and wanting to explore and be independent. So, you know, there, there's certain illnesses that you can't, you know, replicate. You have to, you know, like um, the Stephen Hawking film, Fear of Everything, there's a certain level of like physicality you can, you can, you know, pretend to do to make, make out like you've got the, the illness. But with some things, I think, I think it's, especially with Down syndrome, it's tricky because, you know, a lot of people with Down syndrome have, uh, slurs and, and slow down and have to you know keep up with themselves in their in their mind 
and it mm. and on screen it's not it's not as direct and fluid as you'd want it to be and i think when when you have studios behind those films wanting to kind of be the business people and say you know that's 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 that can't be our lead, lead guy because he's not going to you know return us our money in box office that that's why it's disheartening and even for people behind behind the camera on on the crew um you just you just don't you know you hardly see it and yeah and those stories that need to be told i think you know there are people out there that are telling those important stories but at the same time i think it's 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 not it's not always a must for everybody to tell you know authentic stories about your upbringing your childhood or parenthood or whatever it is because some people really want to write sci-fi and they want to write comedies based on like things they've seen before so i think sometimes it, it, it can be you know quite heartbreaking only seeing one film a year you know based on our own backgrounds being black and asian and, and stuff like that and mm-hmm. you know given that in the uk you know there's only four or five funding bodies you know there's i mean that means basically there's only about you know 20 to 30 or 40 films being made every year through the uk and they're not they don't have money behind them they have you know maybe 500,000 to 750,000 mm. which which it seems like a lot but films film wise it's not so our films feel a lot more you know boxed in and quite small scale so i think once you get those opportunities and a lot of people have been like you know running around for 6 7 years maybe 10 years trying to get their feature film made and yeah. now that they've got the opportunity to make have have it made they just go and make it and they don't think about you know whether or not it's personal to you or personal to me they just want to have this this really cool fun you know piece of work that contributes their, to their catalog in the future mm. um, so i do think it's about like championing um people who tell those authentic and genuine stories about where we're from and stuff like that because in the uk it can get a bit suffocated with like just farm films you know and stuff like that so true um did you ever like growing up what where what was the point i guess for you where you decided like directing is something that you had interest in and just like you know films when did the bug kind of bite you i think i've i've always been a writer so I was, I was writing, you know, from when I was in primary school when I was like eight or nine. Um, and I was, at the time I was really athletic. So I was like doing sports a lot. I was doing football, swimming, athletics, and I was doing it to a high, high level, like competitions and stuff like that. Um, and then obviously I got my Crohn's, I got diagnosed at 15 years old. And when that happened, I couldn't do any more sport. So uh, I think it was that same year I went to like a university program uh, summer university program um, for filmmaking and I was the f- photographer like on set photographer uh, and I just fell in love with the camera and around that time was when the DSLR revolution was happening so like those small little photography cameras had the movie function added to it and I got a new one and it was just like this really rubbish one that you know that was the first year they were out and I, I tried it out and I loved it and I just started doing YouTube videos like kind of exploring what it meant to to be an editor or director or writer and seeing it all kind of mesh together um and then you know eventually i kind of said you know what i can't just keep like doing these youtube videos and it it has no 
no lifetime longevity for me. So I decided to kind of combine my writing and the filming stuff and make a film. But um, I think before, like what I was writing before was ma mainly poetry and spoken word. So I feel like even maybe even to today, my work is quite poetic and romanticized a lot. Um, mm. So I think it, it has pulled from that past life that, you know, was, was stopped by Crohn's. So I have like a lot of things I want to talk about, but use it in a very romantic and idealistic way. And um, yeah, I think, I think that's the best way. I love filmmakers that have a very poetic kind of sensibilities to their writing. So I think that's what I kind of gravitate yeah. towards. Yeah, so who were the filmmakers who kind of like really inspired you? Or if you had to like, yeah, I suppose pick someone that you would, if you could, you know, replicate their career or the kind of movies they're making, you know, who would that be for you? It's tough. Um, <laughs> it's tough. I think because, you know, when I first started getting into films, I remember when I was like nine you know, when I, I, obviously I was watching films before that, but when I was consciously watching films as a, as a young kid, I watched E.T. and E.T. made me cry my eyes out so bad. All over my Happy Meal, I was in the front room, <laughs> and I was eating my chips. I was like, oh my God, mom, you took him away. They got him. And I was just oh. sobbing. And I think ever since then, I've just always loved Steven Spielberg and his magic of filming has been just like kind of insp inspiring for me. Um, but also people like uh, Zack Snyder and Christopher Nolan, I think, you know, maybe their styles are like on different ends of the spectrum. Mm. But I think in terms of their writing, you know, the stuff that they've done, like Man of Steel, um, Inception, um, The Dark Knight as well, yeah. those, those three films, you know, yeah, obviously their catalogue is, is, is a lot further on. But for example, those three films, if you watch them back, you know, you, you get a sense of poetry and, and, and the writing is so rich in like, it's almost Shakespearean, I think, I feel like, especially yeah. Man of Steel, there's a lot of, you know, good poetry in it. And uh, I, yeah, I think those kind of films where, especially Christopher Nolan. Oh gosh, yeah. Like, yeah, the, the really grand scale filmmaking. Yeah. It, it almost creates new worlds, um, but also yeah. telling, these very intimate and human stories at, at the heart of it. So that's kind of what I want to do. That's, that's, that's something I'm very passionate about. And I feel like if you start off doing those really intimate and human and genuine stories, you can then grow as a filmmaker and, and well build as your career goes on. You don't have to kind of do that first, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Nolan would just, for me as well, be an absolute favourite. I remember, I think it was last year or last, last year, I think he was coming out to India for something and I just wanted to like cry because I was like, I want to just get into the room or try and get into this question and answer. Um, but yeah, he's doing, he's doing really amazing, amazing work. Um, but you're yeah. also, I mean, you're also so passionate sort of like about giving talent, um, you know, new people a chance to sort of break in, like you seem interested in new talent. Um, you've been doing like, you know, these monologue challenges as well, which has been encouraging actors to come forward and which is so great, um, especially at this time of like lockdown as well. Um, but in terms of, I mean, we're in, it's such a highly competitive, saturated industry. And I feel it's so hard to, 
to stand out and like, you know, create your own identity or your own niche or, you know, because we're all going to be stereotyped, which isn't a bad thing. But, and then like you said before, in terms of, from, you know, actors or directors or anyone from, from ethnic backgrounds, there's only a certain amount of opportunity as well. So how, mm. in your opinion, do you think talent, not necessarily in front of the camera, but any talent in the creative arts can, you know, what can people do to specifically stand out more? Hmm. Um, I think it, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about being authentic and genuine. I feel, I, I remember there was a quote, there was a quote that came out on Twitter like two days ago from Tom Hanks. That, it might have been Tom Hanks. It might have been someone else. Okay. Um, but he said something like, um, you, you know, you don't, you don't audition for the film, you audition for the directors or the casting directors. Um, and there's a sense of like, you know, doing things for the longevity of everything. It's not about, you know, trying to make sure that you fit for that role because you really want to be in that film. It's about making an impression for the directors and the writers and the casting directors so that next time they know that when that film that comes along, that's perfect for you, they'll, they'll place you there. Or in other circumstances, you know, writers and directors might want to write specifically for you because you've done so well in the audition, but you wasn't right for that film. But yeah. now I'm here, I'm going to give you this film now because this is perfect for you. I understand your cadences and your, your rhythm and your vocabulary and the way you, your, your sensibilities are and your physicality. And this is perfect. I wrote this for you. So there, there's, a, there's that kind of aspect of it, of the business, where it's, it's, it's about relationships as well. Mm. Um, I feel like, you know, just having this 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 naturalism i think maybe it's a the new wave of acting this naturalist you know acting uh, technique but i feel like there, there's a there's value in in being yourself and being genuine and not playing a character um yeah yeah i think, I think so yeah so do you think it is the job of writers or do you think there's a lot of pressure as a writer to sort of write new stories for interesting characters because at the end of the day you know it starts from the script or is it more of a case where I mean you've spoken about it briefly but that you know casting directors and producers have that larger power at the end of the day as to okay should cast this person because yes they're great for the box office and um do you know what I mean or like because of who they are or what they've done or who they know and all these other things um, so do you think, it, 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 does the writer still have a lot of power in terms of when you're creating these stories and, you know, in that whole process of getting a story out and getting it made? Or do, is there this element of like letting go of your creative, um, not necessarily a yeah, creative stance, but just you have to let that control go as, you know, in terms of what, the, what happens to the project afterwards? how it gets treated, who directs it, et cetera, et cetera? Um, I, think, I think yes and no. Um, I think that, you know, I think recently there's been a pressure on writers to, you know, tell stories of people that are underrepresented. But, you know, at the same time, it's, it's you know, it's not, you don't owe anyone, owe anyone anything. So, you know, as, as long as you're telling, you know, something that's personal to you, you know, you don't have to. I think as well, if you if you write something or you make something specifically for a group of people, 
it will only ever affect those group of people. Whereas if you're writing something genuine based on your experiences, it acts as medicine for a lot more people around the world. Um, for example, I, I made a film in 26, 2015, I think, 2015, called Sands of Silence. And it was about a deaf uh, 19, 18 year old trying to find independence and going out for his birthday and meeting a girl and ha having that language barrier between you know, him using sign language and her having to speak slowly and, and kind of wh where that relationship goes. Um, and how much how much trauma you know from his family and from his upbringing does he bring into that relationship um, because he's not he's not heard all the time so I think it's important to tell you know important stories um, but also that's that story of a deaf independent young man isn't my story it is fiction it's based on you know my passings with deaf people and deaf friends um, but I feel like as long as you've got that script made and you know you know what you want from it and what you want to do with it then you know it's down to the producers and the, the funders to green light it it's, I don't think the producers and you know because I feel like people say producers as like the man or like them upstairs um, and it's, it's not it's not those people writing or creating those those, those jobs it's it's the writers and directors that are like making something because they want to like tell these stories and then the funders and, and stuff say, okay, we, we, we want to give you some notes, but you know, we're giving you a million pounds. So you kind of have to change this person's name or you have to have a bald white man from Brick Lane because it's very British. So it has to be that, yeah. um, which is something people have seen you know, for the past 20 years of trying to break into the industry. Mm. Um, especially in the UK like you know it's hard it's hard art because there's there's not so many opportunities there's you know four funding bodies there's maybe two feature film programs a year so you know rejection rates like 99 percent so it, it's just it's just it's, it's just too hard to to keep you know finding out where where that that career path is it's yeah. it's so you just have to stay true to yourself and your writings and your, your kind of you know, view Vision. of the world. Yeah, yeah. How do you, how has that whole, how, I suppose, how is, how is handling rejection been for you? Like, how do you um, embrace that process? Um, and, and does it get easier over time? I think it gets easier over time. Um, I've been trying to get my feature film made from like 2016. Um, mm. Every year I'm developing it like a little bit more. I'm always working on it. And then, you know, I, there's even this little bit of fear in me that, you know, because it's been in so many people's hands over the past four or five years, I almost feel like someone's going to steal the idea and make it for themselves. Cause you know, it's, it's, it's a very, very exciting film that I, I wrote and you know, it's about like a, circus culture and um you know it has themes of identity and belonging and um childhood trauma in it as well so like it's got this very beautiful colorful backdrop which you know you don't see in many british films um it's always very dull it's always very you know sure. farm farm you know located films uh, in the countrysides so 
I've always been passionate about you know telling vibrant, colourful stories in Britain. But you know, it's we're only in you know our infancy of that uh, diversity because you know it's only been two, maybe three years that you know new executives and new um, training is it development development managers and stuff like that have worked at like yeah. BFI and Film Four, and those people that have come in are, are, are black or mixed race, and those are the people that are now signing off on films that are more diverse and have a say in what gets produced and greenlit. So given that we we're only in our two, first two or three years, says a lot because, you know, there, there are series and films out in America being made, you know, that are all black casts or mm. all Asian casts or anything. And we just haven't, we're just so far behind. We're, they're like 200 miles ahead of us. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if, you know, I think it comes down to your career path. If, if you want to make films, you kind of have to go where the market is. In the UK, it's all about theatre and TV. Like, there's no money for filmmaking or feature filmmaking in the UK. There's a lot of development funds and, you know, funds and schemes available for TV. But, you know, for film, you just have to go where the market is and kind of figure out what it is you want from your career. So. True, true. Um, I, like, I was having an interesting conversation once with a couple of director friends, um, I mean, o over out in India. Um, mm. and, and they, it was interesting because one who was primarily focused on creating, you know, they were really passionate about creating a specific kind of, specific kind of stories. Um, but, you know, kind of self-funded, so they became independent features. Sort of, you spend all your money making these films that you're really passionate about which then unfortunately don't have that much scope to grow and get in front of a big audience and it doesn't you know come with that kind of exposure to now you know many years later then saying that actually commercial films is where it's at that's what I want to do um, I am passionate about films but I, I do want to get it in front of people and it needs to then be commercial so do you think that you need to on the offset as a director or an actor in that way do you think you need to be very specific about what you want to do and how you want to do it or do you think that there has to be that element of letting go and and allowing that path to kind of happen for you because you're not sure you know what that's going to look like or is it about really having a, a, a very clear vision before get go yeah I think it's hard because I've come from doing it my way where it's like you know saving up money and creating myself and now six years later I kind of wish I'd known more about the business and and not make so many films that you know just went under the radar or haven't had any any real benefit to my career um you know because up till to, the, to this day like none of my films have really done anything for the progress of my career um despite you know having a, a, a big uh, network of actors and and other directors and producers that you know we can kind of communicate with i feel like you know if you if you i can't it kind of goes back to what i was saying about the industry and, and knowing what kind of you know, market there is in your, I'm not sure what it's like, but for India or yeah. even, you know, Nigeria or in America, it's, it's, it's films. I guess it's the same for Bollywood and Nollywood. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, I think 
you know, I had a conversation with someone recently, um, and they 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 were they're, they're an actor, and they just written this new script, and was like, yeah, I want to get it made, and I know I I already know it's so good, it's gonna go to Baftas, it's gonna get nominated, and then we're gonna like get it funded by someone, a producer is gonna see it, and we're gonna get a feature film made, and it's gonna happen, and it's gonna happen within two years, and it'd be sick, trust me. And I, I was like, yeah, I kind of have that feeling and that, <laughs> that perception every single time I make a film. Yeah. And it just never, ever works like that. I and know. Unless you, unless you know about the business of it, you, you kind of have this blind faith in, in creating all the time. Um, which is, I mean, there, there is value in obviously, you know, learning as you go and creating for yourself. But you just have to be strategic and, and, and know business like i've been saying um otherwise you you know as well if you're coming from working class background or you're just disabled you know how much of a, of a cost is it to save up your own money and then make a film and for it to not, not go anywhere do you know what i mean it's, it's, it's not it's not worth it in the long run even though you do kind of you know build yourself up on talent and skill and you work on your craftsmanship it's 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 not really worth the hassle of like, you know, struggling for two months just so you have a grand in the bank so you can go and spend it on location, you know. And, and as well, moving on from that subject, it's like for those people in those situations that can't afford it, those are the people that ha can't get access to the funds and the, the schemes and stuff like that. You know, they, they, there's, always, there's obviously this kind of... Um, paradox about you know you gotta have experience to get this job but how do I get experience <laughs> um and so you know there is like I've been saying is there's value in creating for yourself but unless you you figure out what it is these film festivals want and what the film schools want you know you're always going to be perpetually making the same film um essentially so I think you know depending on the path you go if you go for you know for film schools and 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 attempt to go to film festivals you kind of need you know but uh, funded films to go to big film festivals you need star talent you need credibility you know from your from your team you need to have a good producer you you, you yourself as a director or writer need to have some sense of credibility whether that's classical or formal training at film school or kind of past credits in big film festivals or tv credits or film credits so again that's like a paradox it's like how do you even get those those big credits or credibility yeah you know? i used to always say it's, it's it's a bit of a vicious cycle because i felt having not gone the drama school route either mm. um i always felt like it was one of the like getting an agent a good agent was so difficult for the longest time like because you just feel like you didn't take that route and therefore you don't have that experience and um, and yeah, it's so interesting that you mentioned like the need to, to have a business mindset, because I think as creatives, and especially when you're so passionate about doing stuff, you, you just, it's that you forget that you, you are a business, that it's still a business. Um, I know I do as an actor all the time, because you just don't want to have to focus on that part. You just want to like create and like get to perform and, um, yeah but if there was one piece of advice that you had to give to creatives maybe people wanting to break in the industry maybe um people who already are and are just like struggling with this whole process um just in terms of like 
yeah, the kind of attitude I think you need to have, the kind of patience you need to have. Um, because there is this kind of like veil of seeing it as being a very glamorous industry, um, seeing it as sort of being like, you know, you hit the jackpot if you get a hit film and then that's, you know, fame and glam and all of this. But then the reality and like, you know, the daily life of, yeah, the, the, the grind is, looks very different. So um, what would you say to them? I think, I think it's, it's important to find producers to start off with. And I feel like, you know, a lot of filmmakers that are, are successful come from um, film school where they've had, you know, that upbringing through film school with, with a producer attached during that process. So they were able to then move on with their careers together and continuously make good work and, and have that credibility behind them. So I think it's important to find a producer. Um, you know, you don't necessarily have to go to film school, but I think if you're gonna, you know, stay in the UK and you want a career, then, you know, TV is probably the, the best way to go or theater. Um, and if it is TV, you, you kind of do need to go into film school and get that classical training. Um, you know, cause there's, there's, there's hardly, you know, you could, you could definitely like hold a couple names on your hand uh, on each finger. You could count the amount of filmmakers that didn't, that didn't go to film school but were successful. But at the same time, like there's thousands, tens of thousands of directors directing episodes of EastEnders and Holy City and whatever it is, even if it's Netflix series, they've all had classical training or passed cred credits for the film and TV. So it's important, I think, to know what it is you want to do and if it is film then maybe maybe if you don't have you know if you're not in that financial situation to move out to america or if you know you can't afford to spend two months there and you know grind you know out just with nothing then i think it's, it's worth finding your feet in the uk first and then eventually going out there because at the end of the day, if you're, if you're living here in the UK, you, you need a wage and you need to be a working director or writer. So you kind of have to just go where the market is and, and you know, assume your position there and stand strong until it's time to leave, you know, until, until it's time for you to move on in progress. Yeah. So I'm, I, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure. I think, yeah, it's just, it's just about following your gut, I guess. Yeah. Very true. Well, thank you so much for like taking some time out and having this chat. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me. That was the end of an episode on the series of Ignite. I hope you continue to tune in every Sunday for a brand new episode with a brand new guest. This series is super close to my heart, um, being with fellow creatives, so I really hope you enjoy it. Stay updated with everything Unplug with Annie on the website, of course, and the IG page and Facebook page, Unplug with Annie.